things MMA on KCLR and scoreline.ie as well. My name is Ken McGuire, joined uh, as always by Miles Price, comfortably uh, scratching himself for the purposes of, of video. How are you? What is what is this thing, this this gizmo? <laughs> I got this when I was in the States and it's probably the best device I've ever bought in my entire life. It's called a bear claw. Okay. And you can scratch multiple things and scare off incoming <laughs> robbers from your house with it. And it, it's <laughs> very, very aptly shaped like a bear claw. I love it. Okay. We'll start marketing that one for you. Miles, a couple of things that we're going to look at uh, today. Um, uh, least of all is uh, UFC Vegas 18, which takes place this weekend. We'll have a look at that before we wrap things up. But uh, we'd spotted an article earlier this week uh, on bloodyelbow.com. Uh, the Korean zombie saying that he hit rock bottom and he gained over 40 pounds after his loss uh, to Brian Ortega. When the two of them fought... And they fought in uh, October last year, and we would we would have previewed this on all things MMA at the time. I know you're a big uh, Korean zombie fan. Uh, Ortega had had come out with a slight change of style, and he had the head shaved, and he had a whole new kind of game plan going for him. Uh, and ultimately, he takes the win, and it's going to be him fighting Alexander Volkanovsky uh, later in the spring. But the article uh, kind of highlights the the level of mental strain that high level competition can take on people it's not often that we see fighters do this um dan hooker kind of at least showcase his frustrations anyway uh, this week after the the loss to michael chandler uh, at ufc 257 a week or two ago um but for for the zombie to to come out and start detailing things saying he doesn't remember anything from the second third or fourth rounds uh of the fight as it was then and in the wake of the fight he just thought that his career had crashed brought him down to rock bottom he ate without control for a month put on over 40 pounds in weight uh, has been seeing a psychiatrist to help him deal with things uh seems to have lost most of the the bad weight uh, he says already but hadn't kind of felt well maybe struggled mentally in the run into the fight and certainly after the fight now we touched on the topic of of mental health in in general uh i think before christmas but this is very specific to the strain that high level competition can put on you and can put on you as as an athlete you've been in that space and you've been you've been in those big fights and you've been in those interviews and you've had those eyes on you is this something that we're we're going to be seeing more of or hearing more of or or becoming more aware of i mean what happens when you're in a situation like that well it, it is what it says in the tin really you know competing and fighting in a cage is probably one of the most stressful tasks any human being can really go through you know mm. and i feel like that everybody has their own level of expectations but it just comes with the territory that athletes would put very a lot of expectations on themselves because it's high risk you know it's very high risk and um korean zombie obviously put everything he has into his camps he gives it absolutely everything and you know post that fight you know to, to get beaten like that I, I, did, I feel like he was probably being a bit hard on himself and he's going through the phase right now of uh, 
seeing somebody for help, which I feel like is the is the right road to take. I think it's a very strong move to to ask for help in regards to psycho psychotherapy and cognitive behavioral therapies, even just a sports psychologist, um, to help you with these with with those feelings after a fight. So you know, there's one thing that I have to work with athletes quite a lot with and I had to work with myself a lot with too a lot of people don't know this and I'm not ashamed to say it because <clears throat> I feel like that it's needed it's I, I have a psychotherapist I see a psychoanalyst every week and you know it's the best money I could ever spend it's nearly as important to me as paying my rent every every month you know it keeps me together because you know athletes generally tend to have those expectations on themselves you know and what I find is a reflection is, is my reflection as a coach to my students. There's one thing that, there's one thing that we fall into. And he's obviously fall into this, that he's put his expectations of happiness on winning that fight. That fight meant so much to him that he relied his actual contentment in life on that fight. And if he didn't win that fight, then nothing else outside of that would be good enough not his everyday life, like the simple things, not his, his, his family, his friends, etc. And that's a, that's an easy trap to fall into. It's not like he chose to fall into that trap. He did that because he cared about the fight and he connected that fight with obviously him making a living for his family, making a life for himself and his family. And if things didn't, didn't go the way they did, then he was on the flip side of that double-edged sword. Now he feels like that he's let down his family. Now he feels like he, he can't live the life that he wanted to live, that he wanted to give to his to others around him. And that's, that's delusional. <laughs> it's just straight up delusional. Things don't, things don't, reality isn't like that. Life goes on, you know? And sometimes when you're in those high-end fights where you, it's very high pressure, you know, where main event, UFC, title fight afterwards, you know, he just fell into the trap. He fell into the psychological trap that his life, everything depended on that fight, when in reality it didn't. And that's where fighters fall. Is 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 that is with, with that fall? I mean, should should that not be expected by fighters anyway? Like we've we've heard it time and time again that it's the fight game, and a fight can change in the blink of an eye. It's it's a it's a kick, it's a punch, it's something it's something very lucky, it's something that was strategic, it's something that was planned all along, but the outcome once once two fighters get in the cage is never really a hundred percent. It's one thing saying that, it's another thing doing it. Mm. It's that simple really. I I mean everybody has the best of intentions and like if you said to me five years ago yeah, you realize the risk of going into the fight miles, don't you? That all those risks that you just labeled. And I go, oh, yeah, of course they do. And But I don't prepare for it. I don't actually sit down, journal about it, express my feelings through meditation, visualization, talk to a, talk to a, a psychoanalyst or a therapist to actually like bounce back some perspectives and ideas, you know, which a lot of the time we're afraid to do with mm-hmm. people that are in our own family and people who are close friends to us because we're af- people aren't afraid of change. They're afraid of changing who they are, you know? So when you go to something like that, you're at risk of losing everything because you're at risk of losing who you are. 
So that's why people are petrified of talking about therapists and psychoanalysts and stuff, because it's not that they disagree with it. They, they're just petrified of who they are because they might have to change. And change is very scary. Like the unknown isn't scary. It's change of the unknown. That's what's scary. So I feel like that it's something that most fighters prepare themselves for verbally and then they just let go and, and don't do any working through period to actually prepare for it. So what what does a working through period look like? I mean, and and say in 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 your own case, from your early days of fighting to your more recent days of fighting, was there a change for you in how you prepared mentally for a fight? Yeah, I I I think when I was younger, you know, I haven't fought so recently now. You know, I'm on the I'm more of a coach and a and a desktop online coach these days, doing a bit of fitness throughout the day. <laughs> but when I um when I was competing, the big difference for me is that I had a sports psychologist, I had a psychoanalyst, I had a I I, I didn't just rely on them either for my mental health. I did meditation every day. I visualized all the oncoming attacks, which I knew were going to be, like all the SVG followers from my last fight, say, all of Ireland, pretty much, the backlash of the media. You know, I'll put it to you this way, okay? Those things really don't matter if you work, if you work for them, work through it, and you do what's necessary to prepare and build boundaries for these things. You can get through absolutely anything in life if you're prepared to put the work in, not physically, but mentally. You know, it starts off there. If you if there's no driver in the car, then there is no car. If you have somebody who's drunk at the wheel or or sleepwalk or sleep sleeping at the wheel, dozing off, your car isn't going to drive straight. It's not going to drive efficiently. But if you have a, a good working engine, not just saying that you have a good working engine, but actually building emotional intelligence and psychological behaviors that actually help you reach a certain common goal instead of saying it all the time, then you're going to be prepared for those things. Do you know, and that's where there's a vague line. There's one thing between saying it and another thing between doing it, you know. And if you do those little things every day, like journaling down things that have affected you and things that, you know, you could do to counteract them affecting you. And, you know, like fear setting. Have you ever heard of fear setting by Tim Ferriss? No. It's where you do it on a, I do that with my clients on a quarterly basis. So on the first of every month, we define our fears. So we write down what our fears are, what we're afraid of. And then we write down the best case scenarios, the worst case scenarios. What would happen if I did follow through with those fears? What would happen if I didn't follow through with those fears? You know, so it gives you on paper an overall perspective of, um, you know, how to approach and reach goals, you know? So I did a lot of fear setting coming up to that fight because I knew that there was a lot of fear at hand. <laughs> so I had to put it down on paper to, to prepare for it. And I know it sounds very Brady Bunchy to stick things on paper and it sounds like a scene in the notebook to actually write about your feelings on paper but you know i'm not i think that i think that generally people may be just afraid to do things like that because they're afraid that it's going to work because it does work it's science it's scientifically proven it's not it's not airy fairy stuff it's not just made up in some hippie book it's it's facts and if fighters do that they're not not only going to have a better life personally but they're going to be able to perform and they're going to be able to 
deal with high-end pressure situations in order to reach their goals. It's that simple, you know. A lot of the a lot of the training stuff that we see leading into big fights and uh, you know fans of of the UFC in particular they see a lot of the the embedded footage kind of the weeks into it a lot of it seems to be kind of you know you you'll get the you get the interviews you talk about oh how camp has gone and how training is gone and you know we've put in serious errors and we've brought in this wrestler and this boxer and this striker and this grappler and this 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 and everything seems to be we're talking about the the preparation for for an event or or in the case of this we're we're looking at um we're looking at a coming event from October but you're talking about the preparation a lot of the preparation that's documented and that that's publicly released um is on the physical side of it and it's how how the physical attributes are how your weight is how heavy your you know your sessions are how heavy your sparring is whether you've you've tapered things off or not but the the mental side of the conversation never seems to come into play you think that it's something that's that's just unspoken or that's uh, maybe avoided or that fighters at a high level don't want to be the ones that are saying well listen dude i i meditate every day and i i go for my walks and i I, you know i'm i talk to myself and i repeat my mantras and i do everything else but i'm focusing on my mind as much as i'm focusing on my body you don't hear that an awful lot you don't and sometimes as well is that the the funny thing is it's funny that you say that but if you relate there's two sides to that coin you know if you have the likes of say say conor mcgregor Mm -hmm. like you know He's brought up a lot, but he's the biggest star in, in MMA and he's relatable because he's Irish and we talk about him here quite a lot. But let's talk about how he uses visualization and mantras quite a lot. He used mantras and visualizations, but he also used them in quite a narcissistic fashion to get to where he needed to. Mm-hmm. Think about that documentary on, on Netflix, Wild Wild Country. He was what you call a materialistic spirituality where you you use mantras and spirituality in a narcissistic way to get what you want, you know, but it's not authentic to who you are. You know, it doesn't feel right, but it feels like you're using that right energy to get to where you need to. So you hear about a lot of fighters doing it in order to win a fight, but do you hear a lot of fighters doing it about what to do after the fight? If worst case scenario happens, no, you don't, no, you don't. And that's where they fall. That's where they fall. That's, and that's exactly what's happening with McGregor. We talked about it last week. He's actually starting to use these mantras, obviously, use these visualizations in a more, or these meditations or journaling or whatever you'd like to use your, your personal development for. Sometimes just listening to podcasts and upskilling as well, reading books that are beneficial for you, learning how to retain books, not just reading them in a, in a you know, it's good to read it it's read you know fictional books and all that as well but i mean you know actually learning to retain what information is in books like you do that in an organic way to you that feels right for you to help you grow authentically and then that will help you realize that it's not going to be the end of the world if you lose a fight you're not doing it just for a fight you're doing it for a fight and you you're you're drastically decreasing the fear of failure drastically if you have the confidence and the mental strength to go to go right after this fight if i win or lose i really know that i'm going to get on with my life and i'm going to learn from it and move on 
and the blow isn't going to be very hard. That's when you're dangerous. That's when you're very, very dangerous because you haven't got a fear of failure anymore. You don't want to lose. Nobody wants to lose, but you've lost the fear of failure because you've learned like, ah, life will move on and I'll learn from this. But if you put everything, every single part of your mental training into just winning, what does that feed? Law of life in general is that you give energy to something and it grows and gives it power. If I give all my energy, my, my, my personal development to winning a fight, it not only feeds that, but it feeds the fear of failure that everything is involved in winning now. But nothing is prepared for failure. And that's where, the, that's where real mental strength comes from. Preparing for failure so that failure doesn't get in the way of you performing and winning. And that's where fighters fall. They do say, I, I, I had it on the tip of my tongue, they do say something along the lines of there is no man more dangerous than the man who has nothing to lose. Uh, and a fear is taken out of the equation. And you yeah, but what's the context concerns. behind that? That's what's important. Not just, it's, 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 that's where lads, that's where the fighters, that's where fighters come in and they, they understand that I'm not afraid to lose. Mm. But have you done anything to actually emotionally prepare for that? It's one thing saying it, it's another thing doing it. Okay. Well, we'll park that there because we're gonna we're gonna revisit this topic. I think again a couple of times uh, over the year, and it kind of plays into the the theme of some of the things we're doing on Scoreline this month around food uh, and general fitness and looking after yourself. Miles, I wanted to turn the eye before we we wrap things up uh, to the fights that are this weekend. So we've had a week's break uh, in terms of the UFC. We're still waiting to see what's going to happen with uh, Bellator and, and Cage Warriors. They may be planning cards for for March. But UFC continues at the Apex in Vegas. It's UFC Vegas 18. Two of the uh, two of the bouts kind of go to shape um, what may be happening in the UFC's uh, bantamweight division and the UFC's heavyweight division for this year. On the bantamweight side, uh, we've got Corey Sandhagen, uh, who is taking on uh, Frankie Edgar. He's had a pretty good run. Over 2019, he had um, he had a split win over John Lineker. Uh, he was on the Stipe Cormier card uh, and took a win over Rafael Asensio. He lost to Aljo Sterling last summer and then bounced back before Christmas against Marlon Moraes. Uh, super second round knockout. Uh, Frankie Edgar, since he's dropped from featherweight uh, to bantamweight uh, he had that big win over it was a split decision win but a win nonetheless uh, over Pedro Munoz uh, last August uh, hasn't fought since uh, is now booked to fight there is the the possibility and I know Frankie was, was kind of long time former lightweight champion long time chasing that gold at featherweight that never really materialised uh, and has kind of become reborn again for the UFC's bantamweight division. Have you an eye on, on this or any thoughts on it? Um, I've been completely honest with you. I haven't looked at that card and watched it. <laughs> I, I <laughs> you may as well be honest. Yeah, may as well. Uh, I, but I, I, I did think that Overeem and that uh, Volkov. Alexander Volkov, yeah. Yeah, I was, I, I was talking to my good friend Mark Hayes about it last week every Every Sunday we have a, a chat on the phone about uh, the fights that had been and, you know, and 
he's a massive MMA fan. I mean, he fills me in more than I watch it. I wouldn't even have to watch it. Like, he just have it all the fun with him. He's my assistant MMA coach in the gym. He has a great eye for the sport. And, uh, yeah, he was saying, oh, sure, let's not until next week. He said, oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> so I did think it was on last week, but I am looking forward to that fight. I have an, my eye on it because uh, – I'm interested to see how Wolverine is actually getting on these days. To be honest with you, yeah, like he had he had two good wins last year. He got the win, like turned it over because he he was kind of under the cosh a little bit against Walt Harris in the first round of their fight last May, uh, and then Overeem being Overeem just turned it around and showed Walt Harris why he is Alistair Overeem and where he is, and then he had the win over um, Sakai in September. I do feel like though that Volkov is a different animal, you know. He is, but he is there to be like how Derek Lewis knocked him out, you know. But if he yeah. uses that range and he uses that slick striking he has, I feel like that. I think he could do the job. Yeah. Also got the win over Walt Harris himself last year as well. He'd fought. Uh, he'd fought Greg Hardy before that. He did. He dropped it. He dropped a, a unanimous decision to Curtis Blades last July, maybe. But they've they've knocked around some serious names in the last kind of year or two. For uh, for Overeem, he has his eye firmly on the firmly on the prize, and we've we've just kind of come off a conversation where we're only talking about winning and people not factoring in what happens if you don't win. He seems very much focused on. He's got two wins on the bounce. Uh, we know that the the heavyweight title comes into to play. Uh, Stipe and Francis Ngannou are going to fight for that in March. But Overeem is very much looking at a tilt towards the title. I'm pretty sure I'd read at the weekend that if he was to win the title, uh, whether it's it's this year or into into early next year, that he would win it and just retire straight off the bat. I just like I'm going out in a high. Thank you very much for this. Uh, I'm done. Do you think there's the possibility? Uh, is it oh, sorry, Overeem? You're talking. About. This is Overeem. Yeah. Could you could you see could you see Overeem? Is there enough in Overeem at this stage still to to put in a good run for the heavyweight title? Oh man, I just don't think he, he's going to have. Uh, per, I, I don't I'd never say never, as they say. You know, I I, I wouldn't want to count out Overeem because he's like people forget how long he's been around the game. Like he was been around the pride days. Like it's a it's a long time. He's yeah, uh, he's I know he's he's only forty. Um, but you're looking at a guy whose uh, current professional record is 47 and 18. That's insane. That's insane. And to be around back in the day where they were all busting steroids over, and he he was probably too, let's be honest. Like, I mean, stomp kicking lads in the heads and soccer kicking in pride where everyone was, was again, busting steroids over, and he's still around today. Mental. And not only that, like, it, it hasn't ever been, like, who wins one loss trip. Like he hasn't, like he went through some pretty gruesome stage of like, I know that there, we were talking about this before, about the gruesome stage he went through of like four or five knockouts in a row, mm-hmm. loads of TKOs, like a serious amount of damage, like, you know, and he's coming back again. I mean, that's mental. I just, but I can't see him. I can't see him beating the likes of Nganu or, or Jones or Steve mm-hmm. or like just those guys. Because yeah. it was it was Ngannou 
two years ago, three, it's nearly four years ago now at this stage that just hit him with that. I'm pretty sure it was like that uppercut from hell in the, the first round of that match that nearly took his head off. And then Kurt, Curtis Blades did something similar straight off the bat in his next fight. Um, but he has he has put himself on a bit of a on a bit of a path, and there is going to be action in the in the heavyweight side of things. Whether that involves John Jones, whether that involves Stipe or Francis Ngannou or whatever happens in March, but I'm sure he's going to be knocking on the door. Uh, either way, uh, Miles, if people would like to get in touch, um, I know the 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 gym side of things is still closed for the minute, but the online training very much continues. What's the best way to get in touch? Best way to get in touch is I actually have a couple of available slots. Uh, two to three to be exact, especially for the higher level of my programs, like the 2.0, 3.0, which are advanced and elite performance. So if you'd like to get to, if you're looking to get into the Rangers or you're looking to perform at a high level amateur or professionally, or just high level at sports, then contact me at Miles Price Fitness on Instagram or Miles Price MMA on Instagram. Super. Miles Price. This has been All Things MMA. I've been Ken McGuire. You can catch up online at scoreline.ie. You can check the Scoreline Facebook page. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all the rest. We will do this again next week. Until then, good luck.